Carlos Alberto Diego joins us to talk the world game, and I say good afternoon to you again, sir. How are you, Andy? Are you interested in the tennis at all? Yeah, well, uh, especially this year. I really, uh, I've, we have a fair few Aussies gone through a couple of the rounds. They're not really knocked out in the in the first round, which is great. So I've, it's got my interest. And uh, you know, you watch uh, Kyrgios play, and then mm. uh, also uh, Tomic. And uh, I've got to say, you cringe at times. It's hard to watch at times, but you just wish the best for them because they're Aussies. You yeah. do. There's a bit of you that the parochial sort of core that says, well, you know, we want to see him be yeah. better people and we want to see him be better players. But I disagree completely with that text message that Tomic doesn't have the power in his shot. There was a period in the third set then when Tomic last night when Tomic really looked to dig in and he started to really kind of flatten out his ground strokes, particularly off the forehand side. And he, the game was on his racket. He had Murray all over the joint, scrambling, pushing him back. He decides not to play like that the whole time. He can't play at that level all the time. But when he puts his foot down and really pins the ears back, Tommy, he can flatten his ground strokes out and hit it off the ground as hard as any player out there. I don't think that's the problem with him. Yeah. I just don't reckon he can sustain it for long enough. Look, I, I parallel it with a lot of young Aussies in, in football that I've seen grow up as young teens and gone on to be great players. And uh, some of them lose their way and they get maligned for that and they get criticised for that and they hit back, often like Kiros yeah, does yeah, yeah, on yeah, Twitter. And, yeah. and But ultimately, at the end of the day, they know what they need to do eventually to be the top if they're going to go that way. So uh, they, they will fail and they won't reach their potential. Uh, Mark Philippoussis might be an example. Yeah. It will never re- it probably never reach his true, true potential as a 10-year champion like a Federer or a, like a yep. Nadal or one of these guys yep. uh, because he, he never really got it when he was a player. But I'd love to have a chat to him now about what he thinks he should have maybe done. Mm. An honest chat. Talking and you know puts pride aside and and all that sort of stuff and I think a lot of footballers, uh, you know, young guys who grew up in the suburbs of Melbourne or in the uh, suburbs of Sydney and suddenly became absolute champions. Uh, those who did go all the way and those who didn't quite love you know, those those conversations are it'd be great to have well, after their career. Well, you'd know more about I mean clearly know much more about Tim Carl than me, but I would imagine Tim Carl just works he mm. just works so much harder. In the Australian game, whether they be based here or based anywhere over there, I guarantee you Tim Carl works harder than just about any other professional Australian footballer on the planet. It's almost like he's gone another level under Ange Postacoglu. He's certainly realised now that he's got, you know, he's in his twilight. Yep. It doesn't matter how he, he plays another two. If you ask him, you'd probably say publicly, I'll play another two World Cups, but he won't. Yep. Uh, he almost made a decision under Ange Postacoglu, who was one of the remaining golden generation players in that squad, to say, listen, I'm going to get the absolute best out of my body. It's only two or three or four years left. I'm going to actually work harder. I'm going to, my diet's going to be spot on. I'm going to be really sharp with my thought processes on the ground. And that's what he's done. And so that's why he's still scoring goals. If you remember, there was a time before Ange Postacoglu under Osik, where he was almost, you know, that people were almost saying to him, his time's come Just in, the national, yep. in the national yep. team then. Yep. And that's because he probably was, uh, you know, he was at New York at that stage, probably made all his money. Uh, the national team had lost direction. Uh, it wasn't probably a happy place to be. Mm. Uh, these guys do it hard, travelling into camps all the time. Is it a happy place to be? Probably not. And, uh, and Ange literally gave him a lease of life. And then he just, I actually was lucky enough to meet him in Japan 
uh, after the World Cup qualifier against Japan over there in October, maybe 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And I saw him in the hotel and I, he didn't know who I was. I just sort of met him and asked him a few questions. And he was as, as excited as a 22-year-old talking about his football at that time. Isn't that great? Yeah, just Isn't talking great? about how he trains. And I asked him about his heading ability. You know, everyone in the world knows what you're going to do in the box every game. That's just, that's just, and they've been, everyone's known it for years and years. Some of the best <laughs> coaches in the world have known it. But you still score. Tell yep. us the secret. And he just goes, it's just hard work. But see, know? here's the thing, Carlos. If he let his weight go, right? If he let his weight, if he put on two or three kilos mm. and he did an hour or two less in terms of his conditioning work a week, if he decided, well, I'm 35 now, whatever he is, I, I, my record speaks for itself. Mm. I don't need to put in the the hard yards way I used to. He wouldn't be able to get to, he wouldn't be able to jump over the top of a central defender anymore. No. He wouldn't be able to get to as many contests as he does. He wouldn't be able to chase down as many defenders as he does. That, that sort of that that extra yep. pressure he puts on. You just, I, I'd love to know what he does week in week out from yeah. a from a strength and conditioning perspective. I guarantee you, mm. he does a much heavier load than most other yeah. Australian footballers. He's probably has got as good as self awareness of his abilities and his game than anyone in world football. Mm. I reckon mm. to get to still be respected the way he is. Uh, the goal against Holland in the World Cup. I happened to be in the stadium for that. Oh, I mean, the world saw that. The greatest players in the world, the greatest coaches in the world saw that and said it was one of the greatest goals they've seen. Yep. This is Tim Cale at 34. Yeah, yeah. You know, a bloke who, you know, was known worldwide because of his time at Everton, mm. right? Mm. But because he was just a bloke who the Everton fans loved. But he, he would say that technically he's not up there with the greats. Yep. Uh, he's probably not the fastest bloke in the world. He's probably not, you know, the most nimble guy, you know, uh, just you know, agility-wise. Yep. But... He's known worldwide and he continues to be... People talk about him in awe all around the world. Why? Because of the values he plays his football mm. with, uh, the absolute commitment he has to his clubs and his national team and the fans continuously on social media about the fans, about things, uh, and the fact that he just knows what makes him tick. Some, Australian, some sports people have got it. Mm. Tim Cale, Leighton Hewitt, some people don't. And it can be... It can, the penny can drop at some stage, yep. or it never does. And that's the challenge in front of those two young Australian tennis players who we spend a lot of time talking about. We'll get a break out of the way. 29 minutes past two. They were magnificent last night, Melbourne City. Mm. I, they played some just beautiful, beautiful team football last night. I want to talk to you about, I reckon they're starting to arrive. And I'll tell you why I reckon they're starting <laughs> to arrive. We'll have a chat about this on the other side of the road. Carlos Alberto Diego, if you want to have a chat, join in 9429 I don't care what anyone says about this car. What people will say, if you love this song, it's a bogan anthem. People, people say that about K-San. And they're free to say it because we live in a democracy and you can say whatever you like about anything in Australia, more or less these days. Carlos Alberto Diego's with this course. This is just one of the great Australian mm, songs. Absolutely. It's a great Australian song. And I suppose we link it to, I'm assuming, uh, you're a young man, Andy. Not but anymore, but, uh, but uh, middle, I, very well, middle, yeah. very much middle-aged now. Well, 
you, you just you associate it with your, your growing up, yeah, don't you? You know, you uh, for me, it was uh, what uh, about nineteen eighty uh, around the yep. early eighties, and you know, you're doing your great stuff. Uh, you're coming out of year twelve and going into uni, and you know, the life the way it was back then, and you. Yeah, got stuff like that, but you just stick in the oils, and I'm hoping there's some oils coming up. There's burnt a bit already, but we need a bit more. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, look, I suppose it's just associated with all those great things. It meant something. Mm. There's a song that actually meant it was about something Mm. that was important to Australia. You know, Um, I tell you what, Man City. Man, I keep saying this. (laughs) Melbourne City last night. um, You tell me what you thought of that performance. Well, I, I believe now they have players in that team who expect to win. They're, they're, they're guys who, there's no guesswork. Mm. There's no hoping. Mm. There's no, oh, look, I'm troubled by our tactics. I'm t-. These guys just go on the field and they ex- expect to win. Now, you can, that can still go wrong, by the way, when you've got 11 guys who all expect to win, but they're not really playing in a cohesive way. But suddenly we've got flicks and tricks mm. in, the, in the forward half with Navio, you know, Harry Navio swagger and Fornaroli. How clinical and smart is that guy. And committed. And yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. That's a Uruguayan in him, mate. You know, the yeah, Luis Suarez yeah, yeah. type play. And we've got uh, Aaron Moy, who now is uh, all the pressure's off him. He just, you know, parades in midfield. And you throw in the young uh, Anthony Caceres, who they've picked up. And, uh, and then Jacob Melling, the young boys learning from them all. Yeah, yeah. Dave Zullo looked all yeah, right yeah, last yeah, night. Michael yeah. Zullo. Yeah, oh, Michael Zullo. Yeah, well, yeah. And he looked as good as he was back at Raw when he first came through mm. the ranks and when he was playing for the Socceroos. Ivan Franich is not far away. Mm. So at the, the, mo- the, the keeper goes all right still yeah, for a bloke who's to- nearly 40. Tommy, yeah. uh, uh, Thomas Sorensen. Look, they've just got to make sure that, that, that the centre of defence is fine. Mm. Uh, but really, when they're scoring as many as they do... Uh, it's it's you know it just keeps things interesting if they're conceding. So uh, uh, I, I think that this is a team that's arrived now, and uh, and what I love about it, it's just a totally different feel about that team. No doubt about yeah. that. No doubt. Eleven thousand people turn up. Nearly eleven thousand last night, which is great because I, gu- I guarantee you, if you turn up last night. Every single one of those eleven thousand is turning up yep. the next time they play at home, yep. and then you get another two thousand on top, and another, and they're coming back next one because they beat whoever they beat next time four nil, and they've seen Fornaroli and they've seen Navio and they've seen all the guys doing that. Last night, in the last fifteen minutes, when they sort of turned the engine into into draw and they put yep. it into into idle, Navio in that um, down the left hand side, on two occasions played with defenders. Mm. I mean, it was all about just running the clock down. Yep. He played with two yep. and three. Defenders, and in the end, he sort of half got a bit. Oh well, I better lay this off now. I'm yeah. starting to make a few bucks look a bit silly here. He is a class above. He, uh, I don't think I've seen a player. Uh, you know, people talk about Conbutsianis back in the old NSL who could float past people with his with yeah, his beautiful yeah, dribbling yeah. skills, but but this guy floats past people, and he and he welcomes it. He welcomes people coming at him. He can see if this if the, what they're trying to do now is double up on him in, in as defenders mm. and trying to show him an angle. But he loves to take the challenge on. Mm. So he'll float past one and cut back across another, and he just sees it. Like you know, we we can see it on TV, obviously unfolding, but he sees it on the ground. He's got the ball at his feet. So for me, he's fant- what concerns me about him though is that. Is very early twenties now, but at a really young age, he's identified in France as one of the one yep. of the players that they're going to earmark to fast track to the you know to the French national team. That's how good he was. Mm. He never made it. He had some lifestyle issues. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Now, you, you know, with with and I love the dancing, the goal celebration, all that sort of stuff. I uh, we, we had Jacob Malik on last night after the game when the final whistle we were on, yep. and uh, we sort of asked him, "Do you go out discoing with, uh, <laughs> discoing. with Harry?" He goes, yeah. <laughs> and he uh, and he said, "Oh no, no, we don't go discoing or anything like that." And I'm thinking, uh, look, you know, 
if you're on top of your game so well, he's playing so well, surely those other temptations might creep in again. I just worry about yeah, that part. Yeah, true. Yeah, but until yeah. it does, you know, why should we assume well, things? But he's, he's just beautiful. He's beautiful to watch. You talk about the penny dropping with blokes, and it either does or it doesn't. Well, maybe the fact that somebody who was as fated as he was has come out here to try and relaunch, and that's what he's doing. He's not out here to get a paycheck. He's out here to try and play some good football, hopefully turn his lifestyle around and get noticed again by... Because he's only 24 or 25. Yeah, he's only a young guy, yeah. So hopefully the mere fact that he's decided, well, I will travel to a... Because he could have stayed somewhere else. He could have picked up a job somewhere in Europe. He could have, but it sounded like he was at rock bottom at that time. And the the lifeline was the City Group. Uh, They've got an unbelievable scouting network around the world. I mean, they picked up Fauna Riley. I mean, Fauna Riley, if you look at his stats... He played. He's probably been playing senior football since 2008. In 60-something games before he came to Australia, he's probably scored only 20 goals. Yeah, right. He's not, he's not like scored goals in big numbers wherever he's been. This has been a fantastic marriage for him in Melbourne City. Yeah. He's come here and suddenly it's clicked. And he was doing it when they were playing poorly too. So maybe it's a, it's a Thomas Broyce situation where they don't yeah. necessarily need to go back. This is where I, I love my football. I'm getting paid well. You know, Harry and, and Fornaroli aren't the marquee players. Yeah. They're not the marquee true, players. That's true. So if they're not the marquee players, there's got to be clubs out there saying, okay, well, they're not paying a marquee fees. We've got a, we've got a marquee spot for ourselves. Let's, let's offer like Barisha got for, yep. for victory. So uh, City have got a little bit of a, you know, you know, good accounting work because I'm sure they've got the money to pay these guys, but they've got to be under the cap somehow. So it'll be interesting their, their, their problems in the future. But at the moment, just fantastic to watch. And a lot's been said about the Caceres transfer and that's been talked about. I know you've talked about it and Dave Davudovic's talked about it. A lot of people have talked about it on this radio station. But there's one thing, Melbourne Heart, uh, we all felt a bit sorry for Melbourne Heart. They were a bit, there was something a bit pathetic about Melbourne. They couldn't get anyone along and they'd do this every now and again, but generally they fell over and you felt a bit sorry for mm. them. That's all gone now. Yep. Different team, different attitude, like you absolutely rightly point out. And suddenly I'm starting to feel that they're gonna, the, the, you know, a club's arrived when people start hating it, and I'm starting to feel like <laughs> yeah. there's going to be a move against the Melbourne City, and within the A League framework, there's going to be real intense dislike toward them from all the other clubs, which has never existed before. And what a good thing that is for the A League. Well, it's interesting because you know, we were talking this off air. We hoped to get to it last week, but we didn't. Mm. So I've actually tweeted this out before the show. We're going to talk about Melbourne City, the most hated team in the in the A League, and have they arrived and started getting returned? You know, <laughs> what planet are you guys on? <laughs> They're not the hate, most hated team. But anecdotally, I mean, this certainly hasn't been a survey about this, but anecdotally, uh, the Anthony Caceres thing is the tip of the iceberg. Mm. The women's team. Yep. The way they recruited that team and the accusations against the club of poaching and stealing players and, you know, checkbook uh, transfers and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's stuck with this women's team right the way through. They've been undefeated. Another you know, terrific win last night. They're in the grand final. They could win everything undefeated this year. And there was a lot of accusations about you just, you know, buying the league and all that sort of stuff. So there is a lot of enmity out there. There is a lot of, I think at this point, hate, respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of hate, respect about and, it. And often it's one and yeah. the other. One yeah. comes with the other, yeah. begrudgingly so. With any great team yeah. on the panel, now they're not a great team. Yeah, they've won nothing. You know, let's yeah. put that into perspective. And they might not. They, they might not win the A League this year. But they needed to do this, Andy, because the bridge, the gap between them and Victory in the same marketplace yeah. was just far. I mean, the heart. You know, you talk about heart and Victory. They were never going to yeah. bridge that gap. No. So they needed to do something like this. And the beautiful thing about this in Australian football not only in this state, but across the country, is that we're going to have, for years and years and years to come, 
the two powerhouses of Australian football in this state, yep. in Victory and, and City. If I want to hear from Melbourne Victory supporters on the other side of the break, if you can feel them coming, I mean, if you're starting to sharpen your uh, enmity towards Melbourne City, if you've always been one of those that felt a bit sorry for them and you've liked taking the PIWS out of them, if that's all starting to change, if you can be absolutely honest as a Victory supporter and tell us how you're starting to feel about them, because they are four points clear of you on the table as the moment as we speak, I'd like to hear from you. On 1116 SEN, Afternoons with Andy Marr for Volvo's Summer Celebrations, Sweden's hottest sales event at Volvo Dealers Now and Anytime Fitness. Anytime is the right time to get healthy. See, now that's Australia Day for me. That's what we should be encouraging. That is uh, James Lambert, four-year-old son of Kerry, our producer, who, with the granddad, is still learning to sing toilet, uh, the red back on the toilet seat. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what it's all about. Yep. And there should be a lot of that going on today, and hopefully by about now, 20 to 3, there's a couple of grandfathers out there who's <laughs> got the grandson over on, come over here, young fella, I'll teach you a song or two about uh, what it's like to be a genuine Australian, what uh, real Australian music sounds like. Carlos Alberto Diago's in the studio, very keen to talk to me about the fallout from the Oli Roos failure to qualify for Rio. We'll get to that in a moment, but a couple of people have jumped on the line regarding Melbourne City. Alex is in Frankston and is one of those. Hi, Alex. Okay, boys. How are we? Good. Um, you said we're four points behind. We're actually, we've still got a game in hand. We're against Sydney tonight. Um, we're going to knock them over as per normal. And then I think we've got two more derbies. That'll give us another six points. So I don't <laughs> think they come into calculation too much for us just yet. But um, honestly, I, I, I think um, it's much ado about nothing until they prove themselves in a final series and get that you know top one or two spot. They'd still be... Uh, second team in Melbourne and always will be. Yeah, but Alex, are you in the camp that you want a strong Melbourne City? You know, not, you know no, no one's listening you. to us right now, but you really want a strong Melbourne City where they've got 25,000 average crowds. They're winning, they're vying with victory every year to win things. Is Are you from that camp or do you want to keep them down? No, of course you want competition. You want a decent competition in the state and especially being Melbourne and, and Victoria as a whole, we are the sports um, capital of Australia. And so of course you want both teams to be strong. You want the same rivalry that you know a Sydney and a Western Sydney have. We don't have that with them. They're they're very much living in the victory shadows, and you know they're kind of still irrelevant until they start winning finals and becoming a successful club. Gee, I can't wait. When is the next one? When's the next derby? Uh, February is the next. Oh, it's, it's a it's three or four weeks. Three or four weeks away. Yeah. Right? Well, let's hope that the ascent of the other mob, Alex, continues because I reckon by the time we get there, who knows what's going to be on the line. Um, from a numeric perspective mm. on the table, who knows what's going to be online by the time City and Victory get to play one another next. Shane's in Willie at 18 minutes to three. Uh, good afternoon, mate. Yeah, good day, boys. Um, loving your show, Andy. Um, just, uh, look, I think it's great to have City and Victory as going head-to-head at the derbies. I think it's great for the sport. But you know what? I joined the Victory when, they, when, when the A-League started because I'm a follower of football. All these people that jumped on board hard when they came on, they gave us heaps the first couple of games. It was, it was like, we follow football. You just came on board years later and all of a sudden you're experts. So I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them. It's great for the sport that we have a derby, but you know what? Their fans are second rate, and you know what? They're second rate. So there you go. Righto. Them, them's fighting words, Shane. Uh, it would have been interesting, Andy, and I can't go back, but it would have been interesting if we were both able to have both clubs starting at the same time. 10 years ago or 11 years ago. It would have been interesting to see 
what it would look like right now. Well, I know you guys would have talked about this a lot. Um, how when when victory did start, why didn't every why, why if people weren't automatically Melbourne victory supporters? Yeah, you know, like why not? Why weren't they victory supporters? I think. I think the the way the club was set up, and by the way, Jeff Lord, great, did a great job with limited resources to, uh, you know, uh, and everyone else working at Victory at the time to get the support on board pretty quickly. No one knew. Yeah. I, people were worried about who was going to turn up that first game. No mm. one had any idea. In the friendly games before, there was a couple of thousand people turning up. They had no idea. People were really worried about the uh, the uptake of this club. Um the appointment and this this I'll be honest. The appointment amongst football people at the time of Ernie Merrick as coach mm. was underwhelming, mm. and that's you know, no disrespect to Ernie. He had been away from top level football and coaching at the and running a very successful VIS academy system for a long, long time. He was part of the old NSL, and I think people were looking for something mm. a little bit more, you know, something a bit more exciting. Mm. And that's uh, uh, you know. Apologies to Ernie out there, uh, but that's the way people felt. I think the football people felt. Mm. But he was a very successful coach in the end. Mm. He did really, really Absolutely. well. But I think once he was uh, supported, a lot of cynical football people, and you know there's a lot of cynical football mm. people out there, said this is no different from the old NSL. And it took a long time for people to uh, accept them. Why the ability of... Uh, the ability, I think, of Melbourne Heart to even start in the first place with that cohort of about five thousand fans, I think they were just the people who just didn't, didn't have, didn't feel that they could be part of victory and, for and just looking for something else. Yeah, yeah they, yeah, they yeah. either were part of victory and they didn't like yeah. their culture, didn't like the coach or the you know the way they played or whatever it was, uh, and they wanted something else. There's still a lot of people out there, by the way, who still aren't supporting either club. Yeah, right. Yeah. And but I tell you, that's a throwback to the old National Soccer League. Absolutely. Yep, yep. Yeah, because of the South Melbourne's yep, and Melbourne sure. Knights. But you get a team that plays football with swagger and arrogance and just you know the way the way City did last night and oh. get better and better and get <laughs> the really big names here playing that sort of football. You'd be mad not to go and have oh, a look. And that, and that, I know we talked about this last week, and it'll be something we'll talk about many, many times to come over the year, hopefully years. But th- that venue, when it's got a comfortable, and look, eleven thousand at Amy Park, yep. while Melbourne City want double that. Eleven thousand at Melbourne at Amy Park is a good crowd. Yeah. It's a good crowd yeah. for atmosphere and for the whole colour of the thing. You want more, obviously. Yep. But watching that last night on TV, that did not sound and feel like a dead atmosphere watching mm. that game. And as I said before, they'll all turn up again because yeah. it was good to watch. What I like about this whole Melbourne Heart and Melbourne City sort of um, project is that if they go on to be a victory, we know the formula then. Mm. We, we know from day one what went wrong, what we tried, all the, all the different sort of ideas and things that went flat. Uh, okay, City Group came in, but it could still fail if all the money. So they, it still takes a bit to succeed, even if you've got yeah. all the money in the world. Yeah. So if this project, if they catch up to victory, say in five years' time by way of memberships and so forth, and, and crowds and sponsorship and a whole lot of it, we then have the formula yeah, that we can sure. have a look at. Um, talk to me about the Ollie Roos, the fallout from this. There's been a lot of chatter, a lot of people having conversations about um, the Ollie Roos not qualifying for Rio. Again, we touched on this last week. 
But you've been thinking about this in the last seven days. <laughs> and people are going to have a crack. But Where's it led you? Yeah, look, in the, it's so automatic for people. And we've had Bozza come out. We've had Ned Zelich and Cozzy, who really spoke passionately about this on, on the weekend. Uh, and they, they're all friends with Aurelio Vidmar, but he's, he's missed out on two qualifications to the last two Olympics in London and also now in Rio. Mm. And so that's automatic. I mean, that's too much... Too many opportunities for Aurelio. He should have been really sacked after the first one. Lovely guy. He's done his apprenticeship, but he's just not been successful. Mm -hmm. But I think it's much bigger than that. He didn't have 10 players, because it's not a FIFA window. He didn't have 10 players who who would have been his first 11, who clubs wouldn't allow. But for me, that's still not an excuse. That's always going to be part of the landscape for the Oli Roos. And I think maybe, as an option, we maybe look at this idea of why, why is it important... And I'm not saying I've got the answer to this, but why is it important for our underage teams, under 17, under 20s, under 23s, to initially win at that level? Hmm. Uh, I would think that the whole purpose of the, 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 you know, any opportunity players get is to somehow get them ready for the Socceroos, wouldn't it be? I think oh, that, well, I would have thought so. I would have thought yeah. the whole purpose is the Socceroos. Now, you go through the data of all our successful uh, underage teams that Bozza and Ned Zelich were part of and they talked about, and... Go through and work out how many of them went off and became ten-year Socceroo players. I'm not, not the odd, you know, not the odd yeah, cap no, here and there, but yep. ten-year Socceroo players because that's what we're investing millions in these young teams going all around the world, especially in Asia, where there's a lot more games, there's a lot more camps and all that sort of stuff. How many of those guys who have been through the system, even those successful teams, have gone on to play for ten years for the Socceroos? The 1999 under-17 team that got to the World Cup final mm. against Brazil, fantastic youth team. I still remember having chills watching this team play. I remember Josh Kennedy. And I, I don't have the list in front of me, mm. but Josh Kennedy and maybe one other. Uh, Scott McDonald has gone on to play professional football, but n- not a socceroo. Yeah, yeah. Josh Kennedy has been a, uh, you know, a socceroo for probably 10 years and, and plus. So, and what, the rest didn't progress no, beyond the, the national NFL, soccer? Jade yeah, North no. is a guy who's played yep. for the socceroos a bit, yep. uh, and he was part of that squad. But the rest of them, uh, there's not many of them. It's a, and that's, that's one of our greatest youth teams. That, yeah. 91, uh, when we played Portugal in the semifinal of the World Youth Championship, in Portugal, in front of 120,000 people, we made the semifinals of that tournament. Should have won on the night. We lost one nil. That's a team with Zalich and Ocon and, uh, yeah, and a few. Yeah, yep, but yep. a lot of those players were just NSL players. So you wonder, uh, have we got the courage? And I'm not saying it's the answer to just say, okay, do we really need to invest as much at that level, or do the players learn how to become great socceroos at their clubs, professional clubs you, around? Okay. Around the world, in the, in the uh, A-League or so forth. Nine four two nine eleven sixteen. We're going to get a break out of the way. But if you've got a view on that, it's pretty provocative alternative to the way that the system gets run at the moment. Uh, if, you've, if you think it's got some merit, that's a question that's got some merit, feel free to give us your view on the other side of the break. It's 11 minutes to three. Anywhere, they don't care. It's just not fair. You know and I know better. Oh, that's one of Kerry Lambert's. Not a bad track. One of Kez's. Carlos Alberto Diago in the studio. Seven minutes to three. Jason's in Footscray. Been listening to the proposition that you started to put before the break. Hello, Jace. Yeah, g'day, guys. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm really enjoying the show, and it's a really good conversation. I've got two points. One's about the young Socceroos or whatever they're called, and um, the other one's about Melbourne City. I, I just think that I just think it's a no-argument point about you know young kids playing at a, at a different level rather than their clubs. Otherwise, you kind of just stay at the same level, and I just I, I just think that it's necessary. And you know, 
the fact that they didn't win is um, you know disappointing, I guess. But uh, it just kind of it, it sets a standard, and I guess it, it kind of gives us a bit of an overview of where we're at in the world with the other years that's kind of developing. And the other point I wanted to make was um, I think it's I don't follow either team, but um, I've, I've really started to get into A League, I guess, over the last couple of years, especially since the AFL kind of changed a bit. I'm sick of Hawthorne winning, to be honest. And um, and the thing about Melbourne City is I think it's fantastic. I think that, you know, what Manchester City and, and the City Football Group have done for Melbourne City in, in, in Australia and the way that they're kind of pointing the direction with that club and, you know, Melbourne City starting to take it up to Melbourne Victory, I think it's a fantastic thing. And anyone who thinks differently, I think, is, like, really naive. I think, obviously, if you're a passionate Victory supporter, then you're not going to like it because you've had the mantle for a long time. But I just think it's a really good thing for the competition. And the last, last little point to make was this game will t- go to another level when, uh, you know, one of the other free-to-air stations like 10, 9 or 7 take the TV rights and they can't come quick enough because SBS have done it no favours in the last year with SBS too. Look, there's a lot of conversation we had on your final point, I reckon. Well, Andy, you're the power broker at Channel 10. (laughs) You'd be leading any any negotiations with the football. I've been dying for this conversation with you. Well, Channel 10, I can tell you, I mean, Channel 10 were very, very keen to take some A-League games. There's no, I I don't think that's a secret, but so, the, so what's the attitude then? Because well, I'm really, I'm well, really intrigued by the attitude because we've seen Channel Seven with the All Stars game, we've seen the uh, the Channel Nine with the ICC tournament, mm. and they've dabbled with it and done it quite well. Well, if I'm Channel Ten, right? Yep. If I'm Channel Ten and I'm head of sport, and and I'm in negotiations with the FFA with the A League, I'm saying we're going to put it. We'll give you prime time. We'll give you a game on Friday night over summer, right? We'll do this. We'll whack it on at seven thirty. We'll put it on the primary channel. But it's got to be Melbourne v Sydney. Yep. It's got to be Adelaide v Melbourne. It's got to look. Yep. God love Newcastle. God love Central Coast. God love all of them. But I, don't give us a stadium that's got a thousand people in it between with two teams that no one knows about. We want mm. we want da- we want the derbies and we want the powerful Melbourne v Sydney type. That rivalries. was a conversation I was hearing that they're willing to take them tomorrow mm. as long as they're the derbies or the big rivalries. Yeah, yep. yep. and, and and you know the other clubs are going to kick up about this. Mm. Where's our free to wear exposure? And I can understand the argument. I totally do. I totally get it. And Fox have got their issues from a scheduling yeah. perspective because they've thrown, they throw a lifetime at it. You know, so I totally understand why there would have been blowback to it. But that's the reason. But it's not unlike what the AFL do. Some teams don't get Friday night games. I'm a Western Bulldog fan. I know we're getting the you know games this year, but yep. it took us a while to earn those games. Yep. But you don't see them jumping up and down every week because nope. they just know that they'll get their benefits through the equalisation of the of the funds at the end of the year or whatever it may be. Mm. So I think that's got to be the attitude amongst A-League clubs. Oh, that, until that attitude does change, yeah. until they're prepared to see the greater good from the collective as opposed to just the benefits for a few, um, then I don't think that I don't think any, anything will change mm. from a free-to-air TV perspective because it's about ratings. Mm. We've got to get a break out of the way. This hour's flown by, Carlos. It's four minutes to three. You remember when you and the only thing that you wanted to do was show your mom that you could play the piano.